0: I do not understand why in this day and age, our products are so tightly integrated, right? That we are limited by what that product comes out of the box with.
1: You're listening to Over The Air, IoT connected devices and the journey, brought to you by Veri. In each episode, we have sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to Over the Air, IoT-Connected Devices and the Journey. Today we're going to be talking about autonomous vehicles in an agricultural environment. We're talking about electric autonomous tractors, you guys. I'm here today with Praveen Pinmetza, the CEO of Monarch Tractor. Praveen, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh,
2: all right, so right off the bat, most people listening out there, you know, we got IoT super fans, we got connected device folks, but they may not know Monarch Tractor. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing?
0: So Monarch Tractor is very much a next generation tool for farmers. So our tractor is all electric. It is capable of driver optional operation, which means you don't need anybody on the tractor. And also we act as a data hub. So that's where the connectivity portion kicks in. If we're trying to take the whole ag equipment space from being just a mechanical device these days, which is where things are, and speeding past the electrification side, speeding past the automation side directly to an electric, smart, automated data hub of a tool. So that's the, the transformation that we're trying to do with our tractor. Tesla for tractors.
2: You must hear that a lot. Is it something that drives you crazy? something that you accept, or something that you're secretly flattered by?
0: (laughs) Well, uh, I have two reactions to that. One is if they're talking about us just as how Tesla transformed the automotive industry, we see ourselves as an agent of change. So that's very complimentary. But uh, Ryan, to be honest, it also grossly underrepresents what we're trying to do. We are not just about electrification. We are about changing farm economics, making the food ecosystem more sustainable around the world. And right from day one, our tractor was meant to be a product for a global farmer, right? Not just the elite. So with that in mind, it's it's not a full representation of what our product is, nor what our company is about. But at the same time, you know, we are happy when people talk about us being the Tesla of tractors as an agent of change for an industry that has not been transformed for a very long time.
2: Yeah, I love it. And we love to bring guests on right as they're breaking some big news. I know this week was a big week for you guys. What can you tell us?
0: Yeah, this week was huge. Uh, It's now out in the press. Uh, The Wall Street Journal has an article on on us. Case New Holland Industrial, which is a large conglomerate that includes tractor tractor brands like New Holland and Case, but also other industrial brands, including uh, Iveco Trucks, has announced their investment in our company which is tremendous because it's not often that you see the incumbents investing into a startup. You don't see too many examples where uh, an existing industry that's about to be transformed is actually accepting of change. But that announcement is out there now, which is you know, something that we're very proud of because those guys came, they tested our product, they, they spent a lot of time with them. And for for them to say that we want to be partners on this journey with you, is a huge validation of our efforts at the end of the day farmers don't want some newfangled technology that doesn't work for them or newfangled technology that scares them so the fact that we have a known agriculture equipment brand uh, one that has a global footprint one that believes in farmer sustainability um, and currently builds tractors in huge volumes and deploys them also lends a lot of credibility to to our customers who care about it so from that standpoint we're very excited about that news. And it's not just a product collaboration, Ryan. We're also excited about the fact that our technology is going to be applied across all of their segments, which is everything from off-road equipment to agriculture to their bus division, et cetera. So very excited about that part.
2: I love it. Congrats. So Praveen, you and I have known each other for 10 or 15 years now. I met you when you were running uh, Motivo a company that was helping Mike the company I was running execute on some work that we had gotten ourselves into but could not execute on. So, known you for a long time, uh, been a big fan for a long time. Motiva was an engineer was an innovation engineering shop. Talk to me about your journey from there to here. You know, now you're running this uh this autonomous tractor company like I remember you guys being very focused on on-road vehicles at that time. Can you talk about that journey a little bit?
0: Yeah, wow, that's a blast from the past, Ryan. Like when we started working together, right, that was definitely back in the early days of Motivo, where we were working on electrification. Around that same time, we had actually invested into a into a connectivity platform that was specializing in OTA, over-the-air updates. And very much at the automation revolution had not just started yet. There were no autonomy car companies when you and I were working together at that time. But on the Motivo side, we saw the convergence on the product side. That's the whole reason why I started Motivo you know, 10 plus years ago, was products were getting more complex. It was not just mechanical products or electrical products or just digital products. You needed all those three skill sets to, to develop the current projects. And that's not something that most people are, are good at, is having all those three disciplines work together to develop compelling uh, user experiences, to develop fantastic products. So that was the whole genesis of Motivo, where we worked on electric boats, electric cars, electric planes, and everything from one-wheel vehicles to, uh, to electric airplanes, like I just talked about. But along that journey, we also were a part of the autonomy revolution that, that came up, which uh, all of us are now familiar with, which is autonomous cars, autonomous bikes, you name it, everything is now autonomous. Seeing all of those industries get transformed. And living in California, where we are surrounded by agriculture, surrounded by nuts farms, surrounded by some world-famous vineyards, et cetera, a lot of the farmers started approaching us saying, hey, you know, you guys are working on all this great technology. Can you do something for us on the farming side? And that's how I got introduced to ag tech five plus years ago. When I went out to the field, I saw something that looked very familiar. And that's something that Ryan, you and I, and Luke have seen on the automotive side. No innovation, a lot of stagnation on the technology side. Everything was a commodity. Connectivity was not being taken advantage of. The digital transformation had just not happened yet. It's the same things that uh, the three of us have heard before too, right? Oh, these are commodity products, right? Everybody cares about dollars and cents and nobody will, will pay for a connected car or an automated car or a smart car. You know, we'll just stick a screen in there or stick as many screens as possible. And that's what connectivity was all about. Having seen that happen in automotive and seen the change that happened thanks to connectivity plus automation, transforming that product, I wanted to do the same thing in agriculture. And when I looked around, people were not doing it. And I saw a huge opportunity. And having a global mindset, I wanted to do a product that really could, could be sold anywhere in the world. So that's why we focused on the compact tractor. And started Monarch Tractor a couple of years ago to bring that to life as a completely separate company, purely focused on food sustainability and the digital transformation of agriculture.
2: I love it. Uh, you touched on this a little bit, but are, are there some specific challenges to operating in an agricultural environment that might surprise people? You know, maybe they even surprised you. You were like, I hadn't even considered this.
0: Yeah, uh, agriculture is. It's something that all of us feel is very low-tech, right? When when we kind of drive by on these highways and we kind of peek over into the farms, you kind of see ag as very much, a you know, you think of these big combine harvesters and you see this big mechanical equipment. It's not something that a lot of us think about as technology-focused. We also don't realize how reactionary agriculture is. So to touch upon the challenges, right, and one of the big challenges in ag is You know, you do not control a number of the elements. So, unlike manufacturing, where you control 95 plus percent and things might be late or there's quality control issues, the biggest thing in ag is is the weather. We don't control the weather. So, the seasonality changes, weather changes means that in some of our crops that Monarch Tractor operates in, if there's a a sudden drop in humidity in the middle of the night, the farmers have to get up at 2 a.m. in the morning. And do an operation so the reaction times have to be very very fast so that's one which is very surprising it's also surprising on like how much effort goes into agriculture and how many stakeholders there are in agriculture we often talk about it in connectivity right as if you look at the automotive world for example oh there's regulations there's dealerships there's the consumer there's the car companies but if you look at it in ag there's even more stakeholders there's the federal government, which plays a huge role in agriculture. There's the state governments that play a role. The commodity markets in some places are controlled. There's some price sets, et cetera. The weather is there, right? And then there's a lot of those stakeholders. So which means when you're when you're trying to get a product out, when you think about like product features and the channel to market the product in, or how do you distribute it, how you support it and all of that, it's a very complex ecosystem. So... I just talked about two different things. One is the reactionary element. The second one is the number of stakeholders. But the third one is how robust stuff needs to be. You know, we are all used to it. We talk about it in cars that are like, oh, 10 years, right? I, I use pe- cars for like 10 plus years, et cetera. In ag, it's common to see tractors that are 30 plus years old. So when you're developing a connected smart product, how do you develop a product that farmers want to keep for 10 plus years? that's being passed on from generation to generation and comes with the farm. Usually if you buy a farm, you get the tractor along with it. So these are the kind of things that make the whole landscape very challenging and also very interesting. It's uh, It's a fantastic place for all of us who have been in other market segments like aerospace and automotive and mobility to apply all those lessons into farming. So for
2: people out there tasked with uh, developing an IoT product, we got a lot of people out there, you know, in the business of connected devices, probably the the only familiarity that they might have with ag and and tractors is this story of right to repair. What can you tell us about that as it pertains to developing a connected device? You know, what challenges has that presented that might be relevant to a uh, uh, somebody else that's entering a regulatory environment and that's really pointed at the internal combustion world here you are coming in on the
0: on the autonomous electric side how has that affected you guys so just to uh, frame the the landscape there farmers historically are very really used to working on their equipment they all have equipment sheds welders and they're very really hands on so it's not like a typical consumer who does not have a lift to even lift a car up and work on it right So farmers are used to that kind of an ecosystem. They also don't have a lot of margins in, in the business. Farming is a very aggressive financial world. So they're always looking for cost savings. What's happened over the last decade is as equipment has gotten smarter, like the big combines are now have GPS positioning systems on them. They have emissions control systems on them. The equipment manufacturers, with the dealerships being some of their stakeholders, have started to look at it as a revenue channel. So from a product strategy standpoint, suddenly you now have a product where, and a a corporate strategy where you're trying to use the maintenance and service as as a revenue stream. And also the technology itself is so complex that they could not, due to regulations, could not let it be controlled by the consumer. They had to provide some compliance back to the regulatory agency. So for example, if it's emissions equipment and you tamper with it, that's an issue. So with those kind of constraints, the equipment manufacturers basically started saying that we need to, you know, have diagnostics and this equipment cannot be touched or repaired or modified. Farmers, obviously, uh, that's not in their farmer's best interest. So if in the middle of harvest, you only have a limited time, weather's going to change on you again, equipment is down and you say, hey, for, for us to repair this thing, you, you better wait until our master technician comes there with this diagnostics tool, plugs it in tells you what's wrong and then we have to take it back, that's not feasible. We have heard stories last year about how some over-the-air updates actually disabled certain machines and they lost weeks during harvest, which immediately shows up on your production yield. So, so that's why there's a very strong reaction, is due to the, the expectations of the cost, uh, the farmers were not aligned. The way it was deployed is not in sync with their interests. And the issues that they're running into are making such matters worse in a time-constrained environment, right? So that's the challenge. So our whole philosophy is the opposite, right? And it's something that I think companies are now starting to think about is let's use technology not to create barriers. Let's use technology to create a bridge. What I mean by that is the farmers want to repair. And if you have connectivity over the air technology available, what if we use that tech to ensure that the farmer is fixing things the right way? What if we can kind of provide some connectivity and some calibration and some compliance reporting built into the product so that we know that, hey, this thing is still in compliance, everything is fine. Yes, the farmer modified it. So what if we can use over the air for training? What if we can use over the air to to support it instead of waiting for some person to show up in a remote area? So that's our philosophy is we want farmers to feel like our tractor is their tractor. And once they purchase it, it really is their tractor. And we use technology to enable them to feel more connected, excuse the pun, to the tractor.
2: Well, I want to thank you, first of all, for the repeated plug of over the air. And (laughs) yes, we do pay... Five dollars for every time it guest <laughs> says over the air yeah. uh, because we we yeah. reuse that in marketing. But so is is part of the answer now. I'll, let me return the plug back to Monarch. Is part of the value prop that there is nothing to repair in the first place. You know, by removing the internal combustion engine, you know, you guys are delivering. You know, you hear this about Tesla. Hey, gone are the spark plugs. Gone are the oil changes you know, you're going to change the uh, the tires every couple of years, but is, is that uh, a big part of the value prop for you guys as well? That like, you know, yes, this value, this right to repair is a thorny issue. Monarch is trying to be on the right
0: side of things, but also there's just a lot less to repair. Exactly. There is. Right. And that's where the combination of electrification plus the automation, plus the data side of it all kicks in. And when you combine all of that that really gives our farmers and uh, who are our customers a huge advantage. Is maintenance costs? We know from the electric bus industry, for example, are usually down anywhere from 60 to 80 percent compared to a normal uh, diesel engine bus. So our farmers will gain that same advantage. So that helps from that standpoint. But I and the whole team at Monarch is not the kind of are not the kind of people who will be happy with just those kind of operational savings. Our whole Ambition is how can we use the data and the connectivity side to really enable the farmer to tell their story to the end consumer? What if data is not just an operational savings tool? It's about telling your story and your story is your brand. And if we can create a brand for the farmer, Ryan, now we're increasing the value of the crop. It's not just about diesel savings, maintenance savings, or efficiency. It's about storytelling. It's about Talking about what makes your crop unique, or your environment unique, or the way you farm unique, and getting that across. So the technology side for us is 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 a part of the whole product solution and is a product a part of our philosophy as well.
2: Staying on like some of the things that that are unique about Monarch. Um, you know, you and I talked about when you you know looking at the connected devices space. What are some things that you think people outside of your industry, just across connected devices world, should start doing? and you and you mentioned you know this modular approach to product development. Can you talk about that and and like what you mean by that and how like how that has played out, you know at at Monarch? And then also, I should quickly introduce my co-host, who I've not ever called out, but Mr. Luke Wilhelm on the call with us today, joining us as a former Appler who are steadfast believers in a non-modular approach to product development. So buy a $1,000 phone, keep it for three years, throw it in the garbage, buy a new one. So I, I'm interested to hear Monarch's approach on this versus you know, what you've seen in the marketplace. And I'll let Luke give voice to uh, alternative approaches.
0: Yeah. So you touched upon a pet peeve of mine, Ryan. So I'm going to get emotional here and go on a big rant and wave right. my pitchfork along here. <laughs> Which I'm allowed to do being in the ag space. I have a, a very good access to pitchforks, right? right. So <laughs> I do not understand why, in this day and age, our products are so tightly integrated, right? That we are limited by what that product comes out of the box with. And for us to really jump to the next generation very often means discarding the old one. And that's true for like everything from the speakers in my house to the, you know, I'm going to play, play up to the Silicon Valley stereotype here, uh, to the Roomba in my house, to like <laughs> all of these things, are, <laughs> all of these things are come out of this box and I'm limited by what I opened the box up. Why is it that I can't get another sensor upgrade for the Roomba? Why is it that my smart speaker, you know, is still stuck on an old Bluetooth channel? I love it, but I really want to move on. And how is it OK for the company that I like so much that has sold me that product to say, ah, oh, you know, for you to like really buy, you know, you should really buy our next product and oh, that one that you love that we created a connection to you with, please throw it in the trash. Is that good for your brand? Which brand person thinks that 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 builds that is helpful? Right. So long story short, I'm a big proponent of modularity on the Monarch tractor side. Especially with farmers, I talked about this before, who, who, are, who like to keep the equipment for a long time. Uh, I really, we, you know, right from day one, we were like, hey, our sensor suite is going to get obsoleted pretty quickly. So, but farmers want to keep the tractors for 10 plus years. So we made the whole sensor suite modular. We made our battery modular. We made some of the user touch interfaces very modular. So all of these means that the core chassis and the core expensive bit stays the same, but our farmers can continue to upgrade. But it's still the tractor that they can name and can stay in their family for generations, but still have access to the latest and greatest. So my my question to to Luke, probably, uh, who I should put on the spot is... <laughs> is I know why are we not seeing more of this and uh, or is it something that's uh, happening in a secret apple lab uh, somewhere loop that nobody knows about in a classic apple fashion.
1: <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that but somebody would somebody would zip line through my skylight if I did so probably shouldn't talk about the secret labs. I think there are pros and cons to to both approaches to product design, product development and product life cycles. I think um the advantage to an integrated product is that you drive down the size, the cost, the weight, and the overhead that comes with making things able to be put together and taken apart. It would be very hard, for example, to create an iPhone where you could unscrew the camera, successfully disconnect it from all the things that it's attached to, put a new one on, and still have this be a camera you can drop in your pool and not break. So like when you want to get a a seamless integration of functions in the tightest, most uh, reliable, lightweight, Package possible, then integrating that as far down the chain as you can is what you want to do. And I think that that extends into automotive to a certain degree or to ag to a certain degree as well. If you want to make it so that you're, for example, taking your Tesla and they tried to do this, swapping battery packs in and out instead of charging them because you don't want to have to pay to put in the charging infrastructure, you can do that. But now you have to make everything about that battery be okay to. Have outside of the vehicle, but then plug it in and take it out, plug it in and take it out, plug it in and take it out, and all the connectors, all your high power connections, all of your fasteners, all those things have to be able to do that, and so it drives complexity, cost, weight, and volume up. And so I think there's a smart way to do it, and I think by doing it at the very beginning of product design, like you're doing, and if you define the interfaces of those subcomponents as well as possible, uh, as early as possible, then you make that potentially over the life of a car, because it's not like you can't swap a battery out of a Tesla five years from now, but you're not doing it every single time. So I think if you're smart about how you set that up up front and it's not a thing you're going to do on a regular basis, but it's a once in a while thing. And it's not so complicated that you're likely to break the other functions of the product. And with Apple, with the Mac, with the MacBook, with the phone, with an AirPod, all those things are so small and light and there's so much functionality that's jammed into it that To to expect somebody that's not a trained expert, and even many of the trained experts, to be able to take it apart, fix a thing, and put it back
0: together. Well, that makes sense, Luke. And uh, I was being provocative when I called out the Apple products. But I think my whole issue is I would expect to see more modular devices in our life on a daily basis. And it's amazing, actually, how few of these devices are modular. You know, how can we get... Get more modularity into these smart devices, especially the more expensive ones, especially the more, you know, things like, like I said, you know, whether it's the the smart uh, fridges or the, the smart vacuum cleaners or, you know, in the smart world where everything is connected, having some modularity is, is almost expected, but somehow it's going the other way.
2: It's an interesting thing to think about, you know, just the idea that you've got a suite of Sonos speakers being able to keep some of the outside and replace some of the inside, particularly the batteries. That that seems to be the real mm-hmm. problem area, that the batteries are just like unworkably non-modular. They they were never designed to, to be swapped, and so the, the entire thing becomes landfill because of that issue yeah so praveen as we're wrapping up getting getting to close here just a couple of other questions for you one thing i wanted to ask you you know so you, you're ceo of a company you guys make up a, a hardware device you've got folks out there listening that are tasked with developing a connected device a hardware product what's something that you hear a lot but you totally disagree with you know you this is something that you you it's conventional wisdom and you couldn't disagree more strongly
0: yeah i think uh A common one that I hear all the time, and I have a contrarian view, and I'm happy to be on the minority on that one because it gives us a big differentiator, is when you do a connected device, uh, figuring out the data monetization somehow is seen as a pass or a crutch for value proposition for the hardware product. So what I mean by that is everything cannot be swept under the rug of like somehow we'll monetize the data at some point. Hence. Right. Let's do this. I understand the aspirational nature of uh, of that statement. I understand that what the data use might be is not well understood in the current uh, time when compared to the future. But still, I think it's uh, something that's bandied about way too often, and is often leads to trust issues between whoever the consumer is, or whoever the you know, in our case, the farmer is, and the manufacturer is. So. We cannot, from a product development standpoint, just collect data willy-nilly uh, under the guise that, oh, we'll figure the value of it out later on. The other side of it is also when you're thinking about the whole product value proposition, we just can't say, well, let's deploy a $1,000 machine and sell it for 50 bucks and hope that the other $950 somehow shows up on the, um, on the, on the data monetization side. Right. So that that basically is abdicating our responsibility from a product strategy standpoint. Uh, I'm a big believer that the hardware has to be well thought through from a user experience standpoint and from a value proposition standpoint. And the data is the icing on the cake. One of our farmers actually told us this is like, guys, like I love the automation. I love the data. But don't forget, your tractor is the cake. Everything else is icing on the cake. If you invert that, that's not a great cake. So it's something that we, we actually joke about a lot, right, is this, you have to get the proportion right. And for us, the, hard, the hardware side of it and how well that works is the cake. And the rest of it is important. We, have, we, we try really hard to make sure that we get that uh, prioritization right as well for the sake of our customers.
2: Let, let's just pull at that thread a little bit. I, I think yeah. most people that have been in this space, I, I, I'll say I totally agree. You know, like monetizing data is is not a strategy. It's a uh, it. I don't know. It it cannot be the cake. It, but I agree with its place as as the icing. So, but like talking about the cake, the purchasers of products are, are often like fiercely loyal to brands that have solved hard problems. What's a what's a problem? Like headline, or maybe it's like buried down in the minutia. Most people wouldn't even appreciate its difficulty. But can you give us an example of, as you've developed this product? of a problem that was like fantastically thorny? You know, maybe it wasn't even something
0: you were anticipating
2: that you guys have had to solve for along the way.
0: I think the big one for us from that standpoint is how do we make a very robust product while keeping it, you know, modular? And Luke did a great job of explaining the pros and cons of it. But that was a huge challenge for us. And those compromises had to be made on our side without compromising the product. So I'll I'll give you an exact example is We took on the challenge that nobody else has, even in automotive, nobody else has, which is in in order to make our sensor suite system completely modular, we had to put everything into the roof and really package the roof up. And since it's agriculture, it gets sprayed uh, not just with water, but also with strong chemicals like sulfur and things like that. So we had to package this whole thing up, make sure that it passes all all the robustness requirements and the environment requirements but also do it at a cost target that was very challenging. So what we had to do to do our sensor suite was while we were using a lot of production scale sensors, we had to do some custom development as well and some innovation with respect to how we cooled all of these electronics and the compute that was in the roof. So there was a a mixing and matching of off-the-shelf versus custom plus innovation to meet the modularity requirements, the environmental requirements and the cost targets. So the roof is something that we're very proud of in terms of what we've managed to achieve. And none of the autonomous cars that you see have kind of really pushed it into into that area with that modularity, right, for very good reasons. So that was a crazy challenge. And uh, you would appreciate this, uh, Ryan, and I've uh, avoided using the word OTA since you last mentioned it, Uh, (laughs) is the connectivity side, the antennas. (laughs) Uh, We still have to deal with the antennas, right? We still have to deal with the GPS system that's inside our roof and the communication that has to happen there. So when you do these very strong integrations, especially with communications on board, there's all kinds of noise challenges that you run into as well. So environmental plus noise. When I say noise, I'm not talking about physical audible noise. I'm talking about the electromagnetic noise uh, and antenna communication issues. So all of that combined made it a really challenging uh, project, something we're very proud of. And we have like three or four of those kind of things on our tractor that make it incredible. When you look at the the landscape, so
2: you know you're solidly both feet in the connected device world. you guys are are building uh, something that you know no one's ever done before. It's incredibly cool. There seems to be plenty to be terrified about in not in with regards to your product, but just the evolution of the uh, the speed and and the direction that technology is going. a lot to be excited about. most just seems uncertain. you know people are uh, unclear. What's your thought on and and like, what would you share with listeners out there, the world according to Praveen, where is the world going, you know, as it pertains to connected devices? Like what are some themes that you see when we're revisiting this episode on the best of, you know, in five years, we're looking back. What are some things that you think will be true then or ten years from now that maybe aren't now, but
0: we're headed there? I think what fills me with a lot of excitement and hope for the future is the way we look at, the devices in the world that we live in, this is very much from the connected device space, like the early days of the internet, right? Everybody's got a connected device. It's like everybody's putting up a website, but the opportunities of what that means when it comes to our daily lives of now that you can do banking here, you you have like, your whole life is now touched by, you know, by, by the web, right? Your shopping experience, everything has been touched. Similarly, thanks to connected devices, which we are in very early days on, I think every aspect of our life will be touched in a meaningful manner. What I mean by that, and I'll give you an example from the Monarch Tractor standpoint, is all of us have discovered our strong affinity and our strong connections to the food ecosystem. Uh, Thanks to COVID, we've all become cooks or tried to cook, or if nothing else, we're watching more cooking documentaries on Netflix. Uh, I'm looking at you, Ryan. Um, So, but thanks to connected devices like the Monarch tractor, right? The stuff that's in your fridge or the stuff that you're about to eat, you now have a more meaningful relationship because you know how it was farmed. You know who the farmer was. You know what went into it. It's like how much you enjoy a glass of wine and the story that goes behind it. Imagine that for every component of your meal, right? Imagine that from the salad to the the meat to you name it, right? If you felt that kind of an experience on your food side and that whole thing was digital, right? You don't have somebody telling you how, you know, what, what is in that wine. It, it is told to you in a digital fashion, right? In a digital storytelling. So I think that's how it's going to be very meaningful. And I think connected devices right now are being used for things like firmware updates and maintenance and all of that, which, which is good. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think they have a meaningful effect on our day-to-day lives. And that's what excites me. Is five years from now, you know, I expect to have mind-blowing experiences for every small thing. And our expectation is going to be so much higher for every part of our life. So that's what I think all of us have to look forward to with hope. That's
2: a lot to be excited about. Uh, Praveen, I really appreciate you being here with us today. we wish you guys the best of luck. Congratulations on uh, closing your, your most recent round and we wish you guys all the luck.
0: Uh, Ryan, thanks a lot for having me and uh, great to yeah great to be on this journey and thanks for your support. Thanks, Luke. You bet, good to see
1: you, Praveen. Congratulations. You shouldn't have to worry about IoT
2: projects dragging on or unreliable vendors. You've got enough on your plate. The right team of engineers and project managers can change a pivotal moment for your business into your competitive edge. Very's close-knit crew of ambitious problem solvers, continuous improvers, and curious builders know how to turn your ideas into a reality, on time and up to your standards. With a focus on mitigating risk and maximizing opportunity, we'll help you build an IoT solution that you can hang your hat on. Let's bring your IoT idea to life. Learn more at verypossible.com.
1: You've been listening to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. Have a question or an idea for a future episode? Send it to podcast at verypossible.com. See you next time.